Hello and welcome to The Spectator's Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about the biggest political event of this year, the 2016 US presidential election. My name's Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. Today we're going to be asking the question, does Donald Trump think he's actually president already? Uh, I'm joined down the line in Washington, D.C. by Paul Wood of the BBC. So, Paul, looking at the first few weeks of the Trump transition, and particularly, again, Trump's Twitter account, which is what we talked about in the last podcast, but we're going to have to talk about it again, uh, it seems to me that Donald Trump might actually think he's president, even though, of course, he isn't. He's still president-elect. But he's behaving, certainly online, he's behaving in a way that suggests um, he's a sort of great proto-president, already making trade deals, already issuing foreign policy statements, and behaving in a way that no previous president or president-elect has done. Do you think he's, he's suffering from a delusion that he's already president? Well, Donald Trump is being Donald Trump. He's being the Trump that we've always known and loved or hated. And it's just that reality has now rather improbably aligned with his imagination. So he's doing things he's always done, but now they have rather more effect and rather more importance. The presidency is famously, as Theodore Roosevelt said, a bully pulpit, and Trump is, above all, a bully. We've seen that with the Twitter account. The form of what he does is unpresidential. He has engaged in Twitter wars since his election with the cast of Saturday Night Live, with the cast of the musical Hamilton in New York. You really would think he has bigger and better things to do. He has also, as you say, been announcing trade deals. He stepped in to save jobs with the carrier company in Indiana, makers of air conditioning. But this is standard Trump. He sounds off. There's just an effect now. But uh, he doesn't have any of the responsibility of government. So at the moment, it seems like he gets the best of both worlds. He can announce these amazing things he's doing, and he has. He, there's nothing to hold him accountable to. What's worrying, I think, is that this might be a window into how he will behave when he is in the Oval Office. Yeah. And the call with Pakistan was an absolute Trump classic if the readout given by the Pakistanis is correct. You guys are all terrific and you know what, I'm just going to come and visit you. Yes, we have a very good satire by Christopher Buckley this week um, on Trump meeting Putin and the the only downside of it is that the transcript from Trump's conversation is even more ridiculous than the satire. I mean, it's impossible to, to actually satirise how absurd Trump is. That is the problem, even for as skilled a satirist as Christopher Buckley and he I think has written a piece in The Spectator about a year ago saying that he once imagined in some kind of ridiculous fantasy that Trump would be president and his wife said, don't even write it, you look a fool. In 1996, yeah. yeah. But the serious side of this is with, for instance, the Pakistan call is that President Obama, for very good reasons, didn't visit Pakistan during the eight years of his tenure in the Oval Office. It's a very complicated relationship. The effects on Pakistan's ballet of death with India are very hard to predict. They're both nuclear powers. And there is Trump wading in and resetting the relationship. You see this time and again. And sometimes he hits the mark, as with Carrier. And other times it's just wildly unpredictable and presumably very dangerous. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see whether people start discounting his remarks and saying, that's just Trump. Let's see what the policy actually is, because this is a man who changes his mind, not just in the same day, but often in the same interview or whether he starts having huge, immediate and rather disastrous consequences for the world by behaving not so much like a president, but like a monarch. But, but the, the, the odd thing is, is at home, it's working. I mean, his favourability ratings are rocketing upwards. It seems to work with the American people. 
Well, I think things like Carrier have got to help, despite the fact that this wasn't really a very conservative or right-wing thing to do. It was subsidising this company to stay behind in Indiana, and despite the fact it was done with state yeah. money as much as... But we've known for money. a long time that Trump isn't, isn't a conservative in that sense, I think, haven't we? Yes, I mean, it's still a question of what exactly Trump is. And is he going to come to Washington like some rube with no political experience and be manipulated by some very experienced Republican politicians in Congress? Or is he going to prove to be quite a smart player, as I think the invitation to Mitt Romney to come to dinner showed, and I think has probably crippled Romney as a future critic of Trump? Yes. And it's interesting you called him a monarch. There's been a, 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 quite a lot of talk about the sort of the new court around Trump Tower. And do you think perhaps Americans actually quite want a, a monarch figure? The framers of the Constitution were worried that essentially they were creating a monarch. And if there were not checks and balances, then yeah. that's what they'd get, wasn't it? Benjamin Franklin, leaving the Constitutional Convention of 1787, was asked by a woman, so what have we got, sir? Is it a monarchy or a republic? And he said, it's a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Yeah. Perhaps we're going to see some of those worries play out over the next four years. And you talk about Trump's popularity. He's still behaving as if he's campaigning. Yesterday or the day before, he was off again to another rally of his supporters. It's extraordinary. Didn't anybody tell him that he'd actually won the election? Yes, he's doing what is called the thank you tour, isn't it? The- <laughs> but, but, yeah, quite, I suppose you could keep on thanking people. It's a very deep and pathological need to be in front of a crowd and an audience. You and I were in that restaurant in New Hampshire when Trump came in and long after it was apparent that nobody else wanted to shake his hand or have their back slapped, he kept doing it. Long after his family had left to get in the cars. And The piece I wrote for The Spectator in the summer of 2015 at the Iowa State Fair actually sent me to psychological or psychiatric textbooks to look for the appropriate term, which I found and wrote was pathological narcissist. I had never seen then and have never seen yet anybody who so absolutely desperately craves the adoration of the crowd as Donald Trump. Yes. And we've been doing a a separate podcast on sort of predictions for the year. Do you have a Trump... I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I didn't warn you I'd do this. But uh, do you have a Trump prediction? A lot of people say he's going to be impeached. Do you have a Trump prediction for 2017? I've heard the impeachment run from some very reputable figures in Washington. I've been at two Washington cocktail parties, separate ones in which people have talked about a military coup and tanks on the White House lawn. I just think it's going to be a wild, wild ride, and we should not, absolutely should not rule out the possibility of impeachment. So good times for journalism, if nobody else, perhaps. The worse, the better, as Lenin said. Yeah. Thank you very much, Paul. And just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anytime on iTunes, and please do. (laughs) 